Jesus walks on the water. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up onto a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves, because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat and the wind died down, then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. And when they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized Jesus, they sent word to all the surrounding country, and people brought all the sick to him and begged him to let the sick just touch the edge of his cloak, and all who touched him were healed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. can see you all from this podium up here. That's good. <laughs> A prayer as we sit. Lord Jesus Christ, as you came to your disciples on the waters of Lake Galilee, draw close to us today. Teach us from your word and give us hearts to respond in loving obedience for your glory's sake. Amen. Last Sunday afternoon, I felt like a couple of hours of sea air so I drove over to Seaton. I couldn't take the train as I usually like to do because the line to Seaton was closed 50 years ago this year. Anyway, there I was in Seaton walking along the promenade and I saw in the distance what looked like a dozen people standing upright on the water some way out from the beach and propelling themselves along with paddles as tall as themselves. But as I got closer, I could see they were in fact standing on, or in some cases, falling off sort of narrow surfboards. That was the first time I'd actually seen this activity, but I gather it's been going for several years, and there's been a British Stand-Up Paddle Association since 2007. Any members here? No? And uh, you can buy a beginner's board and paddles on the web for just £330 if you're interested. Well, some people reading the account of Jesus walking on the water wonder whether it was just an illusion. 
like the illusion I experienced just for that moment with those paddle boarders a week ago. I mean, some people speculate about, well, was there a, a sandbank nearer the shore or even a thin layer of ice produced by salty springs under the Sea of Galilee that froze the surface water? The thing is that that would just reduce Jesus' action to a party trick to impress his disciples, which wasn't the sort of thing that Jesus did. And anyway, they'd lived by that lake all their lives. They wouldn't have been taken in by something like that, let alone being reduced to a state of panic. Matthew makes it clear that what Jesus did was much more dramatic than a casual stroll on some gentle waves near the shore. Do look again at verse 24 of our reading there on page 981 in the Pew Bibles, page 981, verse 24. The boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, that's towards the um, dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. It's a rather different miracle from the feeding of the 5,000 that we were looking at last week. There it was easy to see why Jesus performed the miracle with that hungry crowd in front of him. Perhaps harder to picture how it happened. With Jesus walking on the water, it's a bit the other way round. It's perhaps easier to picture in our minds, but it's harder to see why Jesus did it. Well, when we're trying to find the meaning of an incident in the Gospels, it's often worth starting at the end with the punchline, and that comes in verse 32. When they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. I mean, there are other things to notice on the way, and we'll be looking at those in a moment. But the key point of this incident is that his walking on the water points to who Jesus is. And the reason why Jesus got his disciples into a boat so soon after the feeding of the 5,000 may be that they were in danger of getting the wrong idea of who Jesus was. We read in verse 22, Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side, while he dismissed the crowd. And from the account in John's Gospel, chapter 6, we learn that some of the crowd wanted to force Jesus to take the title of king, to lead an uprising against the Romans. And Jesus always rejected that way of establishing his kingdom. So maybe Jesus wanted his disciples out of the way so that they wouldn't be carried along by the crowd's wrong-headed enthusiasm. To himself, Jesus needed time alone to pray, as we read in the next verse, verse 23. After he had dismissed them, Jesus went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. Perhaps he was still coming to terms with the death of his cousin, John the Baptist. Perhaps he was asking his father to make clear where he should go next and what he should do next. 
But even alone on the hillside, he was still aware of his disciples' situation out on the lake. At the end of today's reading, we see how Jesus was still ready to meet the needs of those who came to him. Jesus knew that his way of being king was through loving service and self-sacrifice, rather than through self-assertion and force. So when Jesus went to join his disciples as dawn was breaking, his intention was to reassure them by his presence with them in the storm, rather than to impress them. But at first the disciples didn't recognise him or thought they were seeing some apparition, perhaps one that was warning them that something terrible had happened to Jesus or something that was luring them onto the rocks. It was only after Jesus said, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid, that Peter then recognised him. It was when the winds died down as Jesus climbed into the boat that the other disciples recognised him too, not only as their leader, but as son of God. It was Jesus' power over the forces of nature that made them realise that Jesus was more than an ordinary human being, even if the title Son of God, as they used at that point, doesn't necessarily have the full meaning of what we now say in the Apostles' Creed, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. Our translation in verse 33 is truly, you are the Son of God, but there's no the in the original Greek. So someone else has translated the disciples' words as, you really are God's Son. His disciples had come to see that Jesus was doing things that he could only do because of his special relationship to Almighty God. They'd have been aware of several passages in the Old Testament where God is described as the one who controls the wind and the waves. For example, in Job chapter 9, he alone stretches out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. So as they'd been doing all through the wonderful incidents in his ministry, the disciples were gradually coming to see who Jesus really was. It's only two, two chapters later in Matthew's Gospel, which is beyond the end of our present sermon series, that Peter is inspired to say to Jesus, you are the Christ, or Messiah, the Son of the living God. And all of those are there in the original in that case. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. By this stage, Jesus had revealed that his being Son of God was shown in both his power and his love in both his authority and his compassion. So walking on the water in the context of his other miracles of healing and providing points to who Jesus really is, that he is the Son of God, and that he shows that sonship, that reflection of his Father, in the way that he lives and the way that he treats people, as well as in his control over the forces of nature. So far in looking at this instant, we've ignored Peter's attempt to copy Jesus. But I think this part of the story has a lot to teach us today. In Peter's actions and in Jesus' reactions to them, we see that walking on the water not only points to who Jesus is, it also points to what we too can be. Um, earlier on, before the children went out, we were thinking about the sort of people we might aim to be if we were in the Olympic Games, and uh, we realise that we can't all be impressive Olympic champions, but we can all be more like Jesus in the way he treated people. 
Well, at first sight, it seems that Peter just wants to have a new exciting experience or perhaps to impress his friends, but I think there's more to it than that. Peter was beginning to grasp the truth that with Jesus, there are new possibilities for who we can be and for what we can do. So we read there in verse 28. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, Jesus said. Did you notice it wasn't that, Jesus, that Peter just jumped out of the boat uh, you know, impetuously like he was impetuous at, at other times, perhaps too, um, impress those around him. No, he asked Jesus to confirm that this is what Jesus wanted him to do. There was a bit more to it than at first sight there seems to be. As we were thinking a moment ago, our culture has a positive view of human um, potential. Young people are told you can be whatever you want to be if you put your mind to it. But such well-meant but often unrealistic encouragement can lead to disappointment, even disillusion. As Christians, we know that all our ambitions are affected by that self-centeredness that the Bible calls sin, and that as a result, we all fall short of the glory of God, as Paul wrote to the Romans. We also know that God's purpose for us is not to leave us in that state, but to offer us a new start and to continue offering us a new start. In his letter to the second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 5, Paul wrote this, If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. And in the same letter, Paul writes that all of us as Christians, reflecting or beholding the glory of the Lord, are being changed into his likeness from one degree of glory to another. And this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Elsewhere, Paul wrote, Whatever we face, we can be more than conquerors through him who loved us. Jesus summed up the possibilities for life lived in his way and in his strength when he said that he came, that we may have life, life in all its fullness. There was another apostle there in the boat. One of the others there in the boat was John. And as he neared the end of his own life, he wrote these words. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he, Jesus, appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We shall be like him. It's a wonderful promise and a certain hope and an incentive to begin the process here and now. We shall be like him. That's what I believe Peter had begun to grasp when he said, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. And that or something like that is what we need to say, to say as we see Jesus as the one who can walk on the stormy waters of our lives. Lord, tell me to come to you. Lord, make me more like you here and now. Lord, help me to overcome temptation as you did. Lord, let your love flow through me when there's not much left of mine. I don't know what your deepest longings are for your own life and how it might impact on those around you, but Jesus does know. And he longs for us to see the possibilities of what he can do in and through our lives, 
even if it seems as challenging right now as walking on water. And he asks us to take just that first small step of faith, as Peter did. You read about that, verse 29. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. Whatever Peter might have said he believed about Jesus, he showed that he meant it only when he stepped out of the boat and found that he could indeed walk on the water as Jesus had done. And we'll never know what we truly believe until we take the risk of stepping out of some of the security and predictability of our lives. That is, if our lives are secure and predictable. I know some people's aren't. It might be a big risk, such as giving up a good job to train for something else to which we believe that God is calling us. But it could just as well be something much smaller, smaller but still a risk taking the risk of speaking to someone about our faith or perhaps giving a Christian viewpoint in some discussion over coffee break when we don't know how the people will react, whether they'll just label us as some sort of religious fanatic. Taking the risk of standing up for someone who's being picked on at work or at college or in some leisure activity rather than keeping quiet. Taking the risk of giving something extra to a mission or charity that has touched our hearts or spending time in some voluntary activity, which means that we have to put other plans that we had on hold. Whatever it is, we, don't, we won't know how God can change us into being a, a braver or more loving or more generous Christian until we take a step into the unknown and find that God can indeed help us to be that sort of person. I know I've used this image before when speaking to you. If we're not sure how well we can swim, we probably stay in the shallow end where our feet can touch the bottom. But we only discover the joy of swimming when we launch out into deeper water. Well, so many of us prefer to remain shallow end Christians, keeping within the limits of what we've done already. So we never experience the thrill of being dependent on God to support us in situations that we would never have chosen for ourselves. Peter stepped out and found he could indeed walk on the water for a time. Because we read then on in verse 30. But when Peter saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. It's often been pointed out that whilst Peter was focusing on Jesus, walking towards him, he kept afloat. But when he looked round at the wind and the waves, that, that was when he began to sink. And so we're encouraged to focus on Jesus rather than on our difficulties. That's good advice, but it can sound awfully glib. And it isn't always clear what that actually means in practice. I think focusing on Jesus, well, it means many things, but it does include prayer particularly. And that prayer needs to include praise and thanksgiving when we remind ourselves of God's character and his promises and everything he's already done for us. Of course, we can't just ignore our difficulties. But perhaps some of us could stop dwelling on all the things that might go wrong rather than getting on with dealing with any problems that have actually arisen. 
Some of us may find that something more material, something like a cross or a picture, putting something on a screensaver on the computer, perhaps pieces of music, songs such as some of those we sing together in church that we play from time to time can act as reminders of God's presence with us through the day. But this stepping out in faith is also an area where we need to support each other rather than trying to go it alone. That can help us to put any setbacks into perspective. And also the knowledge that others are praying for us can lighten the feeling that we're carrying a load of responsibility on our own. Paul wrote to the Galatians, carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. And when we do falter, or even if we start to give up, we can again follow Peter's example. There again in verse 30. When he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And it's easy to see how Jesus rescued Peter just by putting his hand out and, uh, and holding on to him. It may not always be so easy to see how he helps us when we call out to him in prayer. Perhaps we'll experience a growing peace of mind, even before any difficulties are resolved. Perhaps God will send someone across our path or prompt them to contact us on the phone, to give us a hand or to share advice or simply by listening to reassure us that we aren't alone. Perhaps circumstances will change in a way that we hadn't imagined possible. Or perhaps we'll be given the inner strength to keep going despite the setbacks. But there's always a danger that we'll feel that we failed when our faith wobbles. But it's worth remembering that when we pray for help, however desperate we may be, those prayers are a sign of faith because we're turning towards God rather than giving up on him even if we can't see how he can help us. Faith is as much about the direction in which we put our trust, as much as about that as about the confidence with which we do so. Last week, Adrian encouraged us to keep doing three things whilst he was away on sabbatical. At eight o'clock, they could remember all three of them. He said we should keep doing three things. Perhaps he didn't say it at 9.30. He said we should keep Praying, keep caring, and keep expecting. Oh, just as good as eight o'clock. Yes. Keep praying, keep caring, keep expecting. Let's try and find some way to let Adrian know that we have at least remembered what he said for one week anyway. Even in the middle of these dramatic instants in this chapter of Matthew's Gospel, feeding the 5,000, walking on water, Jesus kept caring for those needy people in the crowds and kept caring for his disciples. And we must never be so absorbed by the challenges of our life of faith that we don't have time to show love in the way that Jesus did. That picture of Jesus, sorry, that picture of Peter stepping out of the boat is a picture of a faith that keeps expecting Jesus to call us to be more like him and to act more like him rather than retreating to the familiar shallow waters where we feel safely within our depth. But we can only respond to that call if we keep praying, both when we step out in faith and when we feel that faith beginning to wobble. 
So let's pause to think for a moment about perhaps some of the challenges we face, parts of our lives where we could step out in faith. And a moment I'll say a prayer for God to help us to do just that. Loving Lord, go with us into the unknown world of the future and help us to follow where you lead. When we are anxious or afraid, may we know and share your peace. When we are called to step out in faith, give us courage. When we feel that we are going under, hear our cries for help and bring us all safely through the storms of life to see you face to face for your name's sake. Amen.